If you received an invitation to come to this carol service, you were probably given one of these. Maybe you got one through your letterbox, maybe a friend gave it to you. And if you happen to glance at that card, you probably recognize straight away the artwork there is a representation of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. But what I'd like us to think about for just a few moments is the question that's on the card. What child is this? Yes, it's Jesus, but who was he? Who is he really? What's so significant about this baby that we're still celebrating his birth 2,000 years on? We find the answer to that question in the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament tells us this child is the Son of God on a journey to the depths of death. In our Bible reading so far, we've heard in detail how when Mary was well advanced in her pregnancy, she traveled with Joseph from Nazareth, where they were living, to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's hometown. That was a journey of roughly 70 miles. That can't have been easy for a heavily pregnant lady, whether or not she had a donkey to help her on her way. But the Bible tells us that journey Jesus made in his mother's womb, that was like nothing compared to the journey he made to get to her womb. Here's how that greater journey is described for us in the New Testament. This is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. From chapter 2, he says, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The beginning of that quotation describes Jesus' situation before the first Christmas. He was in very nature God. He wasn't just like God, he was actually God. He was with his Father in heaven and he shared fully in his Father's Godness. He had all the glory that belongs to God. He was clothed with all the splendor and majesty of God. That's hard for us to imagine, obviously. We have no experience of that perfect situation. We don't know what it's like to be God. We don't know what it's like to be in his presence. But Jesus does. And that makes the next part of this all the more amazing. He had that equality with his Father in heaven, and yet we're told he did not consider it something to be used to his own advantage. We might say he did not consider the privilege of his position something to be grasped onto for dear life. He was willing to lay aside the privilege of his position and become a human being. Now the Bible says human beings have great dignity. 
We have inbuilt value and worth. Every single one of us does. God is our creator, the Bible tells us, and he gave that dignity to each one of us. The Bible goes so far as to say we are made in God's image as human beings. That is as grand a statement of our dignity as you're going to find anywhere. Never doubt your dignity and your worth as a human being. And yet, when we come to think about Jesus, in comparison with what Jesus had, it's true to say that when he, God the Son, became a human being, it really was like making himself nothing. That's no slur on human beings. It's just an accurate measure of the step down that Jesus took. From the splendor and majesty of heaven to the brokenness of this earth and to the frailty and weakness of a human body. No one else has ever taken such a massive journey downwards. And by the way, maybe you're a skeptical kind of person and you find yourself just shaking your head at all this because this sort of thing doesn't happen. Well, if that's your reaction, that's good. It means you're beginning to grasp the message of Christmas because the New Testament wants us to see this is not normal. In fact, it has never happened before And it will never happen again. The claim that God became man at Christmas is an utterly unique claim. It's in a league all of its own. It's the greatest, most significant event in history. But what it cannot be is just a nice story. And if you're beginning to see that, then you're ready to hear what comes next. Because the New Testament also tells us it wasn't just for fun that Jesus became a man. That would be unbelievable. God would not swap the glory of heaven for the grime of earth just for fun. But we're not being asked to believe he did it just for fun. We're told he did it for a purpose. It was part of a plan. After Philippians chapter 2 describes the first stage in Jesus' journey downwards, the journey from heaven to earth, it tells us he went down even further still. That same passage following on. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross was what happened to Jesus when he was about 33 years old. But notice, it's not described here as the tragic end to a promising life. We're told it happened because Jesus was obedient. In other words, he went intentionally to the cross. Death was always part of his plan. John's Gospel records Jesus saying, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. Why would the Son of God do that? Death on a cross was the worst kind of death there was at that time. It was the death reserved for the lowest of the low. Why would Jesus intentionally go as low as that? Why would he take his journey all the way down into the depths? One of our earlier readings gives us the answer. Before Jesus was born, the angel told Joseph he will save his people from their sins. That was the purpose of his death on the cross. I don't know what the word sin means to you. Maybe it doesn't mean very much. Maybe as far as you're concerned, there's no such thing as sin. Or maybe you'd say sin is what other people do. On the other hand, though, maybe you're here and actually you're very aware of your own sin. Maybe you've done or said things that really trouble you. Maybe you worry about the guilt of those things. But whatever you or I might think about sin, it's God's view of sin that really matters. And the Bible tells us, as far as God is concerned, all have sinned. And the wages of our sin is death. Eternal death. So we might make little of our sin, we might even deny our sin, but God sees it. And he's not the kind of God who ignores sin and evil. When you and I are on the receiving end of sin, we want it to be taken seriously, don't we? We don't want the wrong done to us just to be forgotten, like it didn't matter. So it shouldn't surprise us when God takes sin as seriously as it deserves to be taken. And that means God punishes it properly with eternal punishment in hell. What does this have to do with Jesus? Well, remember what the angel told Joseph. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He did that by dying on the cross. On the cross, He took all of that punishment that you and I deserved. He went down into the very depths of punishment. And he did that so you and I wouldn't have to. And his people, who are they? Well, it's just all those men, women and children who recognize what he did on the cross. Who recognize their need of what he did And take him at his word, that it was for us, that it was in our place, so we could be forgiven of our sin. So you don't have to come from a certain background to be one of Jesus' people. You just have to believe what he says, that he is the Son of God, and that his death saves you from your sin, and from the punishment of your sin. So you can live in a right relationship with God today and you can look forward to heaven with God in the future. 
So if we go back to our question, what child is this? This child is the Son of God on a journey to the depths of death. But there's one more thing we need to understand. This child is the Son of God now raised to the height of authority. We all know that Jesus didn't stay a baby. And after he went to the cross as an adult, he didn't stay dead. He didn't just enter into death, he conquered it, the Bible tells us. He smashed through death and rose again on the other side. And that means you and I cannot afford to ignore him. After Philippians chapter 2 has told us about his journey down to death, then we read this. Therefore, in other words, because he was obedient to death, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The New Testament tells us God the Father raised his son from the depths of death. He raised him all the way back to heaven. Jesus has put on again all the splendor and majesty of his position. And sooner or later, everyone will bow at the feet of the risen Son of God. We either bow today, gladly and willingly, trusting in him as our saviour and the Lord of our lives. We either bow that way, or one day we will bow unwillingly. We will be cut off from the forgiveness that he paid for at the cross. It will be too late to benefit from that. But we will still have to acknowledge he is Lord. He has authority over all, including those who reject him. This child is the son of God on a journey to the depths of death, now raised to the height of authority. And what that means is, there is nothing at all which is more important than how we respond to Jesus. That's why we're having this carol service. It's not just because we love singing traditional carols. It's certainly not because we love mince pies. It's because there is nothing more important than how we respond to Jesus. So I encourage you to think seriously about this. Get hold of a Bible and read one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Maybe you could try Matthew or Luke. They're the ones we've read from this evening. Read the accounts of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Read what he said about himself. And ask God to show you who Jesus really is. 
you don't have a Bible, just take one from the shelf at the back. You can take it home and keep it. If you leave with one under your arm, no one's going to tackle you on the way out. I'll be around afterwards. I'll be very happy to talk more about this. There's a table in the entrance hall with some uh, booklets about Christmas. Just help yourself to anything from there. But I do encourage you to keep thinking about this. In a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond all together to what we've heard as we sing our last carol. But first, the musicians are going to sing a piece that asks us to consider what our response is going to be. The song is Emmanuel. <laughs>